Hello and welcome to the Katie Helper Show. Thanks so much for listening to the Katie Helper Show. Please rate and review the show on iTunes. And of course, you can support the show on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. This week's Patreon only episode is an extended interview I did with the excellent journalist Ken Klippenstein. On this episode, I'm joined first by Nando Villa. He and I discussed the breaking news. It looks like Joanne Reed will be filling Chris Matthews' spot on MSNBC. The Wall Street Journal reports that Joanne Reed is in talks to fill the 7 p.m. slot, once held by Chris Matthews and his longtime MSNBC show Hardball. Then I talked to State Senator Julia Salazar, who just won her re-election. And we talk about Jamal Bowman's victory over Congressman Elliot Engel. Then Ken Klippenstein joins us from The Nation to talk about his reporting and his latest piece on Elliot Engel's foreign policy. Welcome to the Katie Helper Show, everyone. I'm Katie Helper, and uh, here with me is Nando Villa. How's it and- going? Good, you? Good. And we're gathered here today to talk about the news, to talk about politics, and we have two great guests. Not one, but two great guests. Ready? Joining us, state senator, as in someone with power. Wow. Julia Salazar. She's not just like us. She's not just tweeting all day like us. You know, no, she's no. Passing laws and shit, like, yeah. you know, like writing the law. Right. What do they even do? How do they even do that? Uh, I we'll don't know. Cuneiform or something. But yeah, right. we tweet truth to power. She speaks and legislates truth to power. Right. And then we have on Ken Klippenstein. So I my phone dropped. So I'm going to I'm going to get out of screen for a second uh, mm-hmm. and grab my phone. Nando, can you handle this? It's yeah. going to take me 10 seconds. Okay, okay. go. Well, F Funk, you ask, is my name is Nando short for Fernando? And the answer is yes. My real name is Fernando. Uh, my middle name is Duncan, weirdly. It my is? Name is, yeah. Wow, <laughs> I guess we got a dunk on you for that one. Hey. Hey. Fernando my, Duncan Villa? Duncan. And then Duncan. my right. full last name is Rodriguez hyphen Villa. Villa. It's just too long. It's too unwieldy. So I go by Nando Villa. <laughs> it's too unwieldy. Yeah, that's a good, 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 good idea. Um, yeah. Everyone grab their drinks if they want. If they want some drinks. What do you got? Uh, do you have like a water bottle? Oh, he's so annoying. He's so LA. I got my kombucha tea. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Do you have a shake? Do you want it? We can hold on if you need to like um, use the blender for something with wheatgrass. Right. Wheatgrass. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. A protein powder. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, we're very excited. And the first uh, order of news is that we have some breaking news, which I did not know about, which Nando informed me about. Um, Do you want to break it or should I break it? This is a very collaborative show. It's your show. It's my show. All right. Okay. So you guys, you may have noticed the absence of a dear, dear, dear MSNBC host who goes by the name of Chris Matthews. Yeah. Um, We lost him. Funnily enough, it really wasn't because he compared Bernie Sanders to uh, a Nazi uh, invasion. It was uh, part of it. It was part of it. What was it? He compared it to. He's like, yeah, these Bernie supporters were like the brown shirts. The brown yeah, shirts brown Hitler. shirts, right. He compared it to the brown shirts. No, that was Chuck Todd. I believe what Chris. Didn't Chris Matthews compare it? Oh, yeah. He goes, it was, he goes eh. yeah, he was like, good, it good. reminds me of World War II as a French general. It was like, you know, after the, the, the Nazis passed the Maginot line, they were like, uh, we, can't, we can't do anything to defend it. We can't do anything to stop them. Exactly. That's Bernie. He's a Nazi right. passing the Maginot line. Right, right. Bernie. 
Bernie was the um, the Nazis invading France. That was mm-hmm. what the his winning one of the caucuses was. Was the I, fall of France. Yeah. yeah, the fall of France. Then he was afraid that Bernie was maybe like Fidel Castro and there were going to be executions in Central Park. Yeah. Um, and I don't but, support the Reds. I'm anti-Fidel Castro. I know. That was amazing. I, that was great. The Reds. Yeah, we should probably play some of his greatest hits, honestly. I have an attitude towards Castro. I believe if Castro and the, and the, and the Reds had won the Cold War, there would have been executions in Central Park, and I might have been one of the ones getting executed. And certain other people would be there cheering, okay? So I have a problem with people who took the other side. And he farted in an interview. Oh, Fartgate. Yeah. Well, so he's just like he was losing. And I think the bosses were like, listen, man, we can tolerate you comparing Bernie Sanders to literal Hitler. But farting on national TV is a little too much for us. So yeah, I I agree. Yeah. Um, but you know, what's sad is that I honestly think that it was because of not sad, but I don't think anyone cared about that part. I think it really was because of some Me Too stuff that he got into trouble for. Let me start with my headline tonight. I'm retiring. This is the last hardball on MSNBC. Is this a rumor that you're hearing behind the scenes? No. Compliments on a woman's appearance that some men, including me, might have once incorrectly thought were okay. We're never okay. Not then and certainly not today. And for making such comments in the past, I'm sorry. It it was just weirdly coincidental, I guess, for it not Mm -hmm. to be. I guess, I I mean, part of this is that I have no faith in MSNBC ever removing people for the right reasons. Um, You know, so, uh, and he really, I mean, uh, some of Chris, Chris Matthews' greatest hits. I just found this out or else I would have tried to do a montage. Yeah. Nando, these are my two favorites. Everyone knows this. I love I love yeah, Chris but, Matthews and I love now, Ryan. Chris Matthews, no. you're an expert He's at so, politics. You're so good you at this, Nando. Chris, you worked for Tip O'Neill. Tell me what you're seeing. Well, Brian, it's very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's like the Hitler invasion. That's 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 Matthews really good. That's really good. Um, but it's like Chris Matt, I can't do it, but Chris Matthews, oh, you worked for Tip O'Neill, the great, the great unifier, as they used yeah. to call him. If you, He just sounds so dumb. I can't do the impersonation right, and I realize that my the content of my impersonation really sucks too. So, so let's just pretend I hadn't done that and, and rewind back to Nando's good impersonation. And now I'll redeem myself by playing actual footage, which is the only thing I'm apparently good at. Wow, that that went dark really fast. Okay, yeah, seriously. Foremost, Chris Matthews, I know you as a romantic about American politics. And it's exactly like what I figured he would be saying. Exactly. I happen to know Joy Reid is with you. Ditto. She is a romantic about the American political experience. I am guessing you are both by now in love for realists that we're looking at a category that says reallocated preference. What is going on here, and is this any way to pick a nominee? Whoa. Well, I don't think so, but uh, it's, it's the way we're picking this one, and it looks like Bernie Sanders is hard to beat right now. I'm with Carville all the way in terms of the dangers of what alerts, what lies ahead in November. I'm very much aware of them. They're sitting on so much oppo research on Bernie, what he said in the past about world affairs, how far left he is. I'm not sure how far left he is, but they're going to make the most of that in terms of world politics. They're going to kill him. But uh, I think it's a little late to stop him. And I think that's the problem. I like that. I was reading last night, Brian. I know you're a history guy. Here too. it is. Here I'm comes. reading last night about the fall of France mm, in the summer boom. of 1940. And the general, Renault calls up Churchill and says, it's over. And Charles said, how can it be? you got the greatest army in Europe. How can it be over? 
He said, it's over. So I had that suppressed feeling. I can't be as wild as Carville, but he is damn smart. And I think he's damn right on this one. You know, first I, of all, it's... Oh my God! It's Heartbreaking. Like, remember those days? Yeah, those days felt good. I mean, they weren't I that wish, long I, ago. I, I just, it's 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 wild to watch these videos now of like the elite mainstream media just like <sighs> having a total meltdown over Bernie, just steamrolling the field. <laughs> I mean, given I mean, what happened after it, it's so sad. I know it is sad. The only thing, again, the only thing I'm sad about is that he. I wish that that Nazi invasion. Well, the Nazis had, ended had up happened. losing. The Nazis ended up losing in real life. And in this metaphor, I mean, I don't want to, look, I should reject the whole premise, but I wish, I wish uh, Matthews had been right. Yeah. God. I can't, that just brought a tear to my eye. I know when they were so scared. Yeah, it was great. It felt so good. It just felt so good to watch them squirm. You know, like people don't understand that half, half of Trump's appeal is that he makes people like, Chris Matthews and the awful libs like go crazy and burn their hair on fire every time he says something. Right. You know what I mean? And I got to admit, it is satisfying to watch them go crazy. Like, obviously, it's more satisfying when Bernie does it. And it's a good Um, guy, yeah. But there's, that's a huge part of the appeal because everybody hates these people. Everybody. Like, outside of like, outside of like, you know, upscale suburban wine moms, everybody hates all of these people. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's awful. And I yeah, it's it's making me sad. I, I'm remembering all those terrible things when Chris Matthews said that they were going to be executions in Central Park. And 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 Chris Hayes, to his credit, was like, well, no, that's not true. We know where his politics are. I don't know who Bernie Bernie supports over these years. I don't know what he means by social. One week it's Denmark. We're going to be like Denmark. OK, that's harmless. That's, a, that's basically a capitalist country with a lot of good social welfare programs. Denmark is harmless. It's pretty clearly in the Denmark is category. He? Yeah. Are you sure? How do you know? Did he tell you that? Well, I mean, that's what he says. And that's what his agenda calls for. Right. He's not calling for anything. Let's see. Let's see. Let's figure that one out. But we haven't seen a a campaign yet where video of him praising the other version of Castro has been used. Well, but that will be used. That's a question of how 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 tangible, what what the effect that has. Well, what does he think of Castro? That's a great question. What did you think of Fidel Ismo? We all thought he was great when he first, I thought he was cheering like mad for him when he first went in. And then he became a communist and started shooting every one of his enemies. Okay, hold those thoughts on the Cuban revolution. And, you know, that argument is so disingenuous. He made it and Joy Ann Reed made it, which is like, well, the right is definitely going to use that. Like, of course, they're going to use that. And look at like Hunter Biden. Yeah. Uh, and oh, they're not going to use that one. Yeah. It's like it's just so incredibly selective and it's so disingenuous. Like they're just being the re- the realists. Right. That um, that Ryan Williams knows them to be. Uh, and the idea is You're that they're romantic right. about uh, U.S. politics. He's so annoying. Yeah. He's, he's so the he's the worst. Yeah. So I don't know, though. Here's the question. Who's worse? Joanne Reed on Bernie or absolutely Joanne Reed. Absolutely okay. Joanne Reed. 100 percent. Well, because the, the, we have to go back to the whole reason why we watched this video in the first place, which we yeah. haven't told, is that there is legitimate breaking oh, news. Yes. Here's the breaking uh, news. Ready? Drum roll, please. <laughs> Chris Matthews is being replaced by fellow Bernie hater, Joanne Reed. Yes. So everyone was looking at that 7 p.m. time slot at MSNBC. You know, it's prime time. It's the first hour of prime time, but it's still prime time. And uh, it was open. And now it's going to Joanne Reed, who in any functioning society would have been 
expelled from any position of influence or power. I mean, as a journalist to do what she did and then basically tweet through it, right? I mean, she famously, when she was young uh, as a blogger for the Miami Herald of all places, she wrote like some insanely homophobic things, which in and of itself is bad. But like if she would have apologized and moved on, it was legitimately a different era, like the early 2000s, that kind of thing was just out there a lot more. And I think we should allow for growth from people. Yeah, and all that evolution. Stuff. Like, think, yeah, like, yeah. It's it's that's how progress happens. People change, people learn, and all that stuff. We shouldn't like cancel her for something that she said okay. when she was young. The problem was that she lied, said that she was hacked by the Ruskies, blog, or that those blog posts were not written by her, and it's just insane that she was able to get away with that. And then people were just like, "Yep, I believe it. Let's move on." Yeah. You know, yeah. and now now she's being rewarded. I mean, it's just I I can't begin to describe like how rotten our supposed meritocracy is when when you're a journalist and you're supposed to be pursuing the truth that is your literal job is to pursue the best version of the truth that you can get to and inform the millions of people who you have a platform for about the truth and then to just blatantly lie about something like that. I mean, another one is Brian Williams, right? Who just straight up lied about being shot at while he was on a helicopter and it was bullshit. Um, And now he's back somehow. Um, Yeah. Although, you know what? He did get disciplined. Like he got fired and then rehired. He got fired. He He was the nightly news anchor for NBC and he was the most watched news anchor in America. And he got removed from that post and replaced with Lester Holt. Um, but it's like a thing. It's like, you know, he got put on in timeout and now he's back hosting a primetime show on MSNBC yeah. and hosts all their main political coverage. So I mean, boring. But, yeah. but the thing that's really the, on top of that, the sad thing about that whole Chris, uh, uh, Brian Williams thing is that what's really pathetic is that he's basically the person to who got into the most trouble um, for any Iraq related lies. Right. Like he's the only I, I mean, well, I'm not it's because him. he got he got in trouble for stealing valor. You don't get in trouble for killing Iraqis. You get, exactly. you get in trouble for, for stealing troop valor. Like, you, you know, the troops are still sacred, even though right. like. So if Trump you lie and you pretend made fun of a dead troops mom and <laughs> that should have ended that thing. But yeah, um, right. you can't yeah. steal valor and get away with it. That's yeah. much harder to get away with. Right. Um, exactly. So as long as you you could have as much Iraqi blood on your hands as you'd like. Yeah. I mean, Jeffrey Goldberg, Jeffrey Goldberg published a cover story in which he said that Iraq and Al Qaeda worked together to do 9-11. Right. Which is a total lie. Iraq had nothing to do. Saddam Hussein had nothing to do with 9-11. And now he's the editor of The Atlantic, the most prestigious liberal magazine in America. Right. Which, by the way, came up with um, broken windows theory. They came up with that. That's that, sorry. That the, the Atlantic was where that piece about broken windows theory was published first. Was in the Atlantic. Oh. Now I just want to play. Um, I want to play because we referred to that uh, to Joanne Reed. I mean, she's done so much. She's lied and pretended she had been hacked, which really is quite stunning. I mean, it is yeah. absolutely stunning. It's absolutely saying. stunning. It's I mean, it, it contributes forget. to the, it contributes to the feeling of unreality that so much of us feel in 2020, yeah. right? Where like no, no, nothing. Of unreality. The feeling of unreality that Joanne Reed brings to the table is something that she's going to be delivering to you people at the seven o'clock hour every night here on this network. So great. Thank you so much. Really. This is so good. I love it. Um, one of my favorite 
Joanne Reed appearances was when she, uh, she let's just say she had a real expert on the show. She really went the yeah, full distance her, and her decided. Body language. Yes. So let's look at this. Ready? Joanne Reed, do that due diligence, show that professionalism for which we adore her so much scandals hurt you more when they seem plausible right? right i mean bernie sanders does have a sort of physicality you know when he when he talks there yes. is a by the way i forgot to set this up so this is after um pocahontas focahontas uh uh, uh what's her name um uh, what's warren. her pa powwow chow warren elizabeth powwow chow liz holia warren big structural bailey uh she basically treated her dog the way sarah palin treated her newborn uh, which was uh, exploited as a political prop, yeah. As a political prop, and uh, kept him up way past his bedtime. Um, <laughs> what was his name? Trip Trig. Trig. Uh, Trig. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Um, I wonder how Andrew Sullivan was obsessed with with that story, like in a really creepy way. Yeah, he was like, uh, you know, Trig. Like he, the Trig was like the biggest political prisoner in America. Um, oh, so he was anti. Okay, he felt like it was. It was. Uh, uh, yeah, got it. He was. He was on he the right. Palin. He was on the right side of history, but maybe he hated not Palin right probably right. for 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 misogyny. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Whoa, Nando, am I gonna have to cancel you? Probably. All right, it's okay. We got. I think we should also announce who we want to cancel every show. We should come up with five people. We'll take suggestions from guys. Yeah. If you want a super chat, if you want to pay us, we will take your. We will <laughs> we'll cancel your money. whoever and, you want. <laughs> yeah, we will cancel the highest bidders. We are we are mercenaries, and we're willing to cancel. I'll, I'll sell my cancel bullets. Yeah, you know, yeah, to the highest bidder. I got yeah. five of them each show. Yeah. So uh, basically, I got to go back to this. Uh, yeah. Uh, this clip. So, so this is when um, Pow Wow Chow uh, recipe <laughs> contributor, and that's a reference to when she lied and pretended she was Cherokee, and um, not just that, as if that's not bad enough, but she stole a recipe that was, I think, French, and yeah. contributed to a cookbook called Pow Wow Chow, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it was developed in the French and Indian War. Everyone knows that. Oh, really? No, I'm kidding. Oh, I'm so gullible. It, like the ratio of my gullibility to my sarcasm is very, it's, 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 it's very probably, bizarre. It's, it's part very of your charm there. I guess it is. Yeah. yeah. So here, here is uh, Joanne Reed and a body language expert, and they are trying to figure out if Bernie was lying or Elizabeth Warren was lying. Oh, wow. That's really hard. Uh, one yeah. of them has a real interesting, troubled relationship with the truth. The other one is so fucking honest that it's off-putting to some people. Like, show me where uh, yeah. where Bernie has lied or, like, said something. Yeah. I mean, has he ever – has anyone ever said that he's lied? No. They've never really like, caught him in a, right? in, a, in a lie. Yeah, not like that. Maybe, like, Sally Albright did because she's – oh, we got to look at her tweets later. I, I love no, watching her lose really, lines. Okay, uh, you're right. That's trigger warning. Right? Okay, so here's the clip. I just need to set it up. So, basically, this is when Elizabeth Warren lied and said that Bernie Sanders had told her that uh, a woman couldn't win, which obviously wasn't what happened. Clearly, I'm sure he was like, look, uh, Trump's going to use whatever he can use. You know, he's a misogynist. He's going to use that, uh, you, know, you know. Which is totally different, yeah. Which is totally different. I'm sure that's what he and said. And 1,000% the truth. And 1,000% truth. I mean, I was waiting for her to say, like, Bernie told me I couldn't win because I'm an, a Native American. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. He said I couldn't win because I'm too Wait, dumb because I'm a woman. Southern. She's not that Southern, though. She, she sometimes talks like that. Mama? Yeah. Mama. When she talks about, like, her, you know, Native American past in Oklahoma, she talks like that. Yeah. 
You're right. I guess she does. Okay, yeah. so this is when when she lied, basically, and Bernie Sanders, they totally, during the debate, they totally set him up. It was ridiculous. Bernie Sanders said, no, I didn't say that to her. I didn't tell her that a woman couldn't win. Senator Sanders, CNN reported yesterday that, and Senator Sanders, Senator Warren confirmed in a statement that in 2018, you told her that you did not believe that a woman could win the election. Why did you say that? Well, as a matter of fact, I didn't say it. Uh, and I don't want to waste a whole lot of time on this because this is what Donald Trump and maybe some of the media want. Uh, anybody knows me knows that it's incomprehensible that I would think that a woman could not be president of the United States. Go to YouTube today. There's a video of, the, of me 30 years ago talking about how a woman could become president of the United States. In 2015, I deferred, in fact, to Senator Warren. There was a movement to draft Senator Warren to run for president. And you know what? I said, stayed back. Senator Warren decided not to run, and I did, I did run afterwards. Hillary Clinton won the popular vote by three million votes. How could anybody in a million years not believe that a woman could become president of the United States? And let me be very clear. If any of the women on this stage or any of the men on this stage win the nomination, I hope that's not the case. I hope it's me. <laughs> but if they do, I will do everything in my power to make sure that they are elected in order to defeat the most dangerous president in the history of our country. So Senator Sanders, Senator Sanders, I do want to be clear here. You're saying that you never told Senator Warren that a woman could not win the election. That is correct. And then the debate woman was like, okay, thank you. Uh, Senator Warren, what did you think, what did it feel like when Bernie Sanders said that to you? Senator Warren, what did you think when Senator Sandru Sanders told you a woman could not win the election? <laughs> it was like unbelievable. So now, Joanne Reed, because she has such a, she's such a truth teller, whether it's lying about being hacked by Russians who went into the Wayback Machine somehow, and even though all tech experts say it's impossible somehow, I guess they are pretty devious, they hacked into it. <laughs> Someone um, just tweeted at us that this is the longest setup ever. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You're welcome, guys. You're welcome. In fact, I should until so, someone better get on super chat and yeah, this uh, is, and this is like a, like all a right, Dragon Ball Z episode. I, all right, ready? I'm gonna play it. All right. I hope you guys get it. Scandals m hurt you more when they seem plausible, right? right? I mean, Bernie Sanders does have a sort of physicality, you know, when he when he talks. There yes. is a shaking your finger yes. at Hillary Clinton, yes. shaking your finger, shovey, weirdy. Shovey, you know, weirdy? His, his physicality yes. makes me think, yeah, he could have said, you know, listen, I think in this environment a woman can't win. That doesn't seem like a crazy Well, first thing of all, I think, he, I think Bernie's lying. We see him. He slouches forward anyway, Joy. But here he turtles. If you look at his eye level where he normally answers <laughs> questions, when he makes the denial, his whole shoulders come up like a little kid getting lie. caught. His eye level is below his shoulders. This is trying to hide in plain sight. And many of us, we don't know what to look for. So if you look for this right out of the gate, and the strongest denial is simply saying no. And part. I think women in particular, we want to believe human beings. Mm. So we're like, yeah, I would, I would say that. Mm. He literally said, well, as a matter of fact, I didn't say it. That's nine words. Unnecessary. No. Did you vote for Donald Trump in the last election? Absolutely no. Right? So <laughs> 
no. Did you dress up as an Easter bunny on Easter? Absolutely no. Right? So it's no. We say no. Absolutely is actually not the strongest denial. You're you're playing with me here in the game, but at least you're getting the no in here. We're not hearing the no with Bernie. Also with Bernie, he has numerous hotspots. He says, well, liars like to start with well. He looks away. He laughs. I think he might have been coached to laugh in this moment. A lot of politicians are coached to laugh in the difficult times. So we're focused on the laughter and, and it's supposed to send a message that this isn't serious. It is serious. First of all, she looks like a fucking seahorse who's about to tip over. <laughs> Why? Do you see the thing? In, like, yeah. look how forward she is. That's not body yeah. shaming. There's nothing problematic about that. It's just her position. I don't know why she's doing that. She's so eager to attack. Katie, you're of the Semitic persuasion, correct? Yes. Yes, I am. Do you We're think? Physical. Yeah. Is this not like a. Oh, my God. Some, it's total. It's ridiculous. Like the, yeah. The, talking about ta- talking talking shit about him for finger wagging seems like an anti-semitic uh yeah for his physicality and, and, yeah and talking and talking shit about him for slouching is like blatant ageism my god like look at any old person they all slouch it's ridiculous right i know and but here's my favorite part i don't know if you guys caught this but joanne reed is not giving her the answer that she wants Right. Her whole point, Madam Seahorse, her whole point is that. Just to say no. Yeah. You just say no. Right. You just say no. And then Joanne Reed is like, absolutely not. Or absolutely no. I I know you're playing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I know. Also, the fact that you can the fact that Joanne Reed can just like even begin to judge this and no one's being like, it's kind of inappropriate because you are a documented liar. You shouldn't judge this, but let me, let's just watch that thing again. It's really beautiful. This Absolutely part it. is actually not the strongest denial. But we're like, yeah, I would, I would say that. He literally said, well, as a matter of fact, I didn't say it. That's nine Seahorse. words. Unnecessary. No. Did you vote for Donald Trump in the last election? Absolutely no. Right? So, no. Did you dress up as an she Easter? She laughed. Absolutely oh, my no. God. So it's, she was coached oh to laugh. She was coached to laugh. We got to watch uh, all the clips where she starts with well. Katie, you should do like every single, you should just do like an anti-Joy read broadcast every single night. Just like fact check her show. You there, Nando. Look at that. You're the one. Yeah. Do the anti-Joy read show. Yeah. Um, You know, I think you could, I think you could rack up the views on that one. Misery read. Yeah. Misery read. I got it. Yeah. I got no, it. we say uh, no. Absolutely is actually not the strongest denial. But you're, you're playing with me. Playing with me here in the game. But at least no, you're getting the not. no in here. We're not hearing the no with Bernie. Also with Bernie, he has numerous hotspots. He says, well, well liars well. like to start with well. He looks away. He laughs. I think he might have been coached to laugh in this moment. A lot of politicians are coached to laugh in the difficult times. Is she Canadian or Midwestern? No. So we're focused on the laughter and, and it's supposed to send a message that this isn't serious. It is serious. If he said it, which I believe that he did, he would have been better to just own it. Okay. Well, Our media is the most embarrassing media by far in the world. I mean, it's, it's, you know, the thing is like with like all these authoritarian regimes in which they have state media and stuff, they're embarrassing, but it's like understandable. And like, they, you know what I mean? Like yeah, you don't more, want them to get killed, right? Right. Yeah. These just these people just do it uh, out of their own volition. It's it's really pathetic. Yeah, it's really pathetic. I, so you guys, welcome to the resistance uh, media. This woman is going to be guiding you through the news.
And she's not even entertaining like Chris Matthews, who is entertaining. No, Chris Matthews is is hilarious. You he's know, hilarious. Like, yeah. You know, you yeah, and I mean his his obsession with Tip O'Neill and bipartisanship is the funniest thing ever. Like it's just it's so it's quaint and outside. Yeah, it's very sexual. I mean, he he had like a genuine like sexual reaction to Barack Obama, and you remember like his famous clip when he was like, "I felt the chill going up my leg, and it went, it went straight up my my inner thigh, and then up my you know like." It's like, whoa, dude. Is that when he also said he forgot he was black or something? Yeah. Yeah. He had like a weird thing with Obama. Yeah. It was definitely really weird. He's like, tonight, uh, tonight I forgot when I can't, I can't do it, but tonight I forgot he was black. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. It was amazing. We are going to bring in our, our guests. We're very excited, guys. And her name is none other than Julia Salazar. Julia Entonces, ¿qué, Julia? ¿Usted cómo está? Bien. Muy bien. Katie, you got to learn the Colombian accent. Oh, I see. That's pretty good, right? No, that's more Peruvian. I had a Colombian boyfriend. Yeah. Nice. And you know what his name was, guys? Andrés Restrepo. No. Or Camilo. Camilo no. Villegas. No, his name was Jorge Enrique. The nickname for which is Kike. And it's usually spelled oh, Q-U-I-Q-U-E, yeah. right? Yeah. But I had the great fortune uh, of having uh, a boyfriend who spelled K-I-K-E, yeah. K-I-K-E. Do you guys nice. know what that looks like in texts? Yes, probably some of you don't know. Some viewers out there, you probably don't know, and that's okay. But uh, it is a, uh, it's an old-fashioned anti-Semitic slur. So it was very fun to, to, to say that. So Julia, congratulations on your victory. Yes. Thank you. Is, oh. is this, uh, I mean, I almost feels like a retroactive Katie Helper Show bump. Yeah. Well, no, it's not because I was, no, it's, it's a pure Katie Helper Show. Bump. Yeah, you're right. If we go back to yeah. the first one. Absolutely. Yeah. We already got some love for you. We got Eric, um, who was proud to vote for you yesterday, Senator. Yeah, uh, is it like, is it like forever now? Like until you know you're 90 years old, we have to refer to you as Senator Salazar. Like even if you retire from the Senate, like you get it for you get the title for the rest of your life. Well, I'll say this: I I won't require that you call me Senator, but even uh, Senator Delon, I still call him Senator Delon. I still call him Senator if I see him, and I defeated him. So hell there yeah, you go. that that, nice. that should answer the question. Even someone who who you made sure is no longer a senator. I don't think that they strip you of the title. You're just a former senator. You made sure he's no longer yeah. a senator. It's a good. Yeah. It's a great way to you put should it. call him. You should call him. Hi, I made sure you weren't a senator, Delon. How are you? Hello, former senator Delon. Hi, guy I replaced. Yeah. Disrespectful. Disrespectful. Yeah. yeah. So, um, tell us about again. Congrats, and t tell us about your your election, and tell us about how this fits into the general, um, not the general election, but the the broader election scene, as, as political scientists call it, I believe, the election scene, the broader election scene. But tonight, uh, last night's primaries, uh, Tuesday night's primaries. Yeah. So, uh, since 2018, uh, many more people have decided to run as insurgent candidates um, in Democratic primaries, which is really cool, um, especially in New York. And more, you know, we've we've seen many more people become involved in local politics. Um, uh, we saw in 2018 a huge increase in turnout, especially in my district, um, more than more than any state senate district in the state. Um, this year, we didn't really see the the turnout that we would have wanted to see, um, but it was also actually still still higher than most districts across the state, and we'll we'll 
sort of see, we'll have a better idea of what the turnout was once um, the absentee ballots are counted, which won't even be counted until July 1st. So we're, we're all going to have to wait at least a week to um, actually know for sure what the results of the election are. Some of the races, um, including my own, were were decisive. Um, I think we can say the same about, about Jabari Brisport, who um, ran as a, a DSA endorsed, a DSA member, um, I, I also supported him, uh, ran in the district directly south of me in Brooklyn. Um, he, he did extremely well um, in a, in a three-way race with, um, it was for an open seat, but uh, one of the candidates um, had been in the assembly for a long time. So it was sort of a similar dynamic to, to running um, in a race with an incumbent. Uh, but what's really important um, is that the the same uh, movement that uh, elected myself and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and um, other democratic uh, democratic socialists to state legislatures around the country for the first time in 2018 saw um, saw victories last night and we'll probably be able to confirm that um, in in about a week from now. Uh, you know, I, I didn't have a very competitive race, but I did have a challenger from the right. I love, um, I love the, you're, you're like, um, qualifying. you're flexing so hard in like a, in like a very, in a very, uh, in a very, in a very humble way. Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I mean, for what it's worth, I think my, my race was less interesting than a lot of the other races, but, but, um, yeah, I, I didn't have a, a very formidable opponent. Um, and <laughs> it's just real, it's just real, um, it, this guy's like kind of anti-vaxxer, uh, not nice. actually, yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it was interesting, uh, you know, formerly like supported Trump, but ran as Democrat. Nice. Uh, yeah, really a very interesting choice in, um, in a district that elected democratic socialists before. So, right. Yeah. Like, your your first election was like a slugfest, you know, like I'll never forget that. That that is ingrained in my mind. I was like yeah. genuinely terrified of just and now it must feel good to just go up against some loser anti-vaxxer who like probably believes in I don't know, like uh, you know, chemtrails or something. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, he um he believes in a lot of interesting things. I, I think honestly I do I think it would be nice to have a normal opponent. Um or or Someone the best gig is to not have an opponent. Come on. Yeah, that's also true. That's also true. But, <laughs> but um, to not have an opponent that's like a vestige of the, the Vita Lopez political machine, um, which was the case in 2018 and this time around. Uh, but hopefully, I, I don't know. I, I'm hoping that people who really genuinely care about policy um, and public service will will start running for office more as, as we're seeing um, – you know, business as usual, machine politics, not win elections anymore. Yeah. yeah. Well, Julia, tell us about uh, the other people who won. And we'll, I want to talk to you more about your your campaign and also what you've achieved as state senator, because you really have done a lot of really exciting things. So which races were you the most excited about besides your your own? Which which other victories were you excited about and which ones were you which non victories were you disappointed about? But, you know, cautiously optimistic because people lose a lot at the beginning until they like St. Bernard lost a bunch of times at first. Yeah. 
St. <laughs> Bernard. Yeah. Um, well, I was really excited about all of the candidates that our local DSA chapter endorsed. Um, uh, we ran multiple candidates for assembly um, against Democratic incumbents. Um, those races are still largely undecided, um, but Zofran Mondani, who ran in Queens, uh, it did very well. Um, depending on, on the absentee ballots, I think he has a very good chance of winning that seat. Um, you know, the only state Senate um, Democratic Socialist who, who ran, aside from myself, was Jabari, which is really awesome that I'm going to have a new colleague um, because I've been the only socialist in the state Senate um, yeah. the past couple of years. <laughs> uh, and uh, I was really, you know, one thing that I was I was disappointed to see was um, Samelis Lopez yeah. ran a really inspiring oh, campaign. Yeah. She, she really hustled um, and, and had a lot of grassroots support. But I think because there were a lot of candidates, you know, there, there were like 12 candidates on the ballot in that race. Um, I think and that, yeah. that data for progress poll did her dirty. That was that was. Oh, what, what did he do? He he released a poll like a week a week or two ago, putting her at two percent. You know, which was nowhere near what she ended up getting. Um, Can but he it definitely, fire Sorry. Fired from where? He owns the fucking I'm, thing. I'm firing him. I'm gonna. Yeah, we're canceling him. You, I'm canceling him. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna yeah. buy. What can I buy shares in Data Progress? Probably not. Maybe. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm canceling him. I'm 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 firing him. Stage a coup in the board. I'm a coup. I'm going to join the board. Yeah. No, but that's bullshit because that's as you, that's a self fulfilling prophecy. Totally. Right. It's so annoying. It's like, oh, that person's just not viable. Okay, I'm not going to vote for. And polling in these like little races like that is wildly unreliable. We didn't know like Ocasio Cortez like when she won. We didn't know what the fuck was going to happen until election night. Like no right. one knew. Same I with Engel and I Bowman. We didn't fucking know, yeah. you know. Yeah, and we're gonna get to that soon. You know what? That I'm gonna call him out, Sean Mackle Mickley. Yeah. Uh, McAlley, whatever. I'm sorry. Uh, no disrespect. Yeah, right. I, Irish. I, I, Irish brothers Probably and sisters. Yeah. Yeah. For what it's worth, like a lot of people were bringing up um, where Richie stood on the Right to Know Act. Um, yeah. There were a lot of advocates who, people who I used to work with within the Community for Police Reform Coalition before I ran for office. Um, who really felt that that he had betrayed them at the end of those negotiations over the legislation, and and rightfully so, right? Um, he ended up he ended up amending his bill in the final hour. Um, this legislation that we had fought years for um, to to try to minimize the number of um, it, you know unlawful encounters and unconstitutional encounters between civilians and the police in in New York. Uh, so basically, there was already bad blood between a lot of people um on the left and richie torres so um i was i was a little bit surprised that that wasn't reflected but you know if if we there there's at least a grain of truth in the logic that you see um that a lot of people sort of drew from uh the data for progress poll which was like if it came down to richie torres or ruben diaz Richie is far and beyond the better the better candidate, right? Be a better congressman. So, so, um, but but frankly, that you know, we should reject that dichotomy, especially when there are twelve candidates in a race and we have a candidate as inspiring as Samelis. Oh, there yeah. you go. Yeah, got, got it, baby. Got my um, oh, my support. Nice, <laughs> great, nice, great yeah. cop. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is just I had to find this this tweet from um, Ross Barkin where he he said, gotta love Sean McElwee calling Richie Torres an AOC saw progressive here. Dude literally disavows DSA, supported the leader of the IDC and is proudly pro-Israel. Yeah. So, yeah, shame on you, Sean, and shame on data progress. And if I ever contributed to them, which I don't, I would stop. And I'm just canceling them. And they're all they're all, uh, you know, whatever. I mean, I like your. I like your abolish ice t-shirt, Sean. That was good, but you should have stopped there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, uh, Richie Torres, by the way, so that was the race against Ruben Diaz senior or senior, senior right? Okay. Yeah. I gotta say I'm a little conflicted because while I don't like his politics, I respect a good cowboy hat. Yeah. Uh, Latin, Latin cowboy hat guy. Yeah. I mean, that's bold. That is yeah. like that. Not every man has the security is secure yeah. enough in his manlyhood to do that. So yeah, I, I am yeah. not. I certainly you're not. Am not. Yeah. Well, no. Also, you're not Latinx, Nando. Uh, I'm you not are Latinx. A Spaniard. You are I'm a Spaniard. I'm an imperialist pig. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I like yeah. pigs, so I don't actually. But is yes. that is that what you claim? Imperialist pig. Yeah. Do you yeah. imperialist pig identify? Yeah. Yeah. I self ID yeah. as an imperialist pig. And I just want to make I just want to give people the chance to see the man I'm talking about. This is Ruben Diaz, senior. Yes, we're going to um, provide a photo yeah. identification photo op. This is a nice one. Suspense. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. OK. Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't realize right? that he wore that the cowboy hat. And I really like some And also some was like great on farm policy. She talked. In fact, you can see my my interview with her. I had her on and I had a side yeah. hater on. And uh, Sameli talked about the um, her humanistic international uh, policy, wow. foreign policy. Yeah. Oh, look at yeah. the whole fam. Look at you see. Look, he's never without it. Yeah. yeah. His cowboy hat, and he also—that's a cute baby there, though. He also drove around. Um, Ted Cruz was was uh, being driven around the Bronx. That was uh, Ruben Diaz who accompanied him. Oh, yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, shout out to some Ellie's. Um, and I, as I told some Ellie's on the show, I mean, I think the Katie, honestly, if if the Katie Halper show hadn't been mitigated by Sean. Yeah. I think we would. She would have sailed through. Yeah. But uh, which is another reason I absolutely am out to cancel Sean. In fact, why don't we have a hashtag? KT helps cancel. We're going to abolish. We're going to abolish uh, data for data progress. progress. <laughs> I'm going to make a T-shirt that says that. Yeah. Abolish D- DFP. Tell, tell us, please, about the Bowman upset. That was amazing. Yeah, that was incredible. Um, yeah. Jamal Bowman. And that was actually an example. Someone pointed this out that in some of these races, you had, um, you know, I can think of at least a couple of an assembly district um, in South Brooklyn, um, Assemblyman Felix Ortiz's district, right, where there were uh, two or three progressive challengers. Um, and, you know, Jamal Bowman challenged uh, Congressman Engel. Um, and, and there was another challenger with with pretty comparable policy stances um, to Jamal's. Uh, and similarly, we saw in South Brooklyn, a race where uh, Marcella uh, Mitanis ran, uh, uh, Hennessy Sacchino, um, uh, Catherine Walsh, they all ran against Felix Ortiz. And um, it's it really appears based on like the electoral map um, and, and also the way their endorsements were spread out that the left wasn't able to galvanize around one candidate. And the result was that an incumbent who was to the right of all of them was able to just, you know, sail 
uh, into, into a seat again. Um, in the case of Jamal challenging Congressman Engel, um, a, a third challenger, right, and um, who was also in the race before, he ended his campaign and endorsed Jamal a matter of, I think it was only a, a few weeks ago, maybe mm. even less than that. The past couple of weeks have felt really long in the electoral world. Um, but it was very recently that he did, and he did that knowing, um, you know, that he it was unlikely that he would be able to win. And what, you know, he, he recognized it was more important that a truly progressive um, yeah. candidate fighting for transformative policies would be able to win. And sure enough, um, you know, I think it, I think it made a difference. To, and, and who knows, maybe Jamal would have won um, even in a three-way race. But uh, it, it was a rare example of the left closing ranks. and Yeah, and like the libs did with Bernie. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, or right. Yeah. Sort of. The opposite of what we wanted, but yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah this yeah. time it benefited the left, but yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The consolidation, the moder the the yeah. usually moderate consolidation. This was leftist consolidation. Yeah, yeah. I mean one one thing that I think is, is interesting about this moment in New York is that um, pro progressives across the board who were running ran really strong uh, absentee campaigns mm -hmm. and really encouraged people to submit absentee ballots. It also, you know, there was almost no, what they called no excuse absentee voting um, because anyone, anyone could um, just check that they had been impacted or were concerned about coronavirus and therefore would be able to vote absentee. Um, and, and we also were testing out for the first time the new um, election laws that we passed at the state level in 2019, in early 2019. So expanding early voting um, and and also making absentee voting easier. Um, and, and therefore, you know, in the past, absentee ballots typically for example, with um, Tiffany Caban's campaign, a lot of people are still a little bit reasonably a little bit traumatized by the outcome of counting the absentee ballots after election night with that, right? Because I think, you know, mm -hmm. like something like 50 votes um, was ultimately the margin that gave um, now the victory, right? Um, I think that we're going to see different results is difficult to predict but we're going to see more progressives ca votes counted in those absentee um in those absentee ballots on july 1st so it could actually uh it could actually swing some of these elections such as in zohran's race you know it could really secure his victory over an incumbent it could uh even you know push marcella Matinus over the edge um, and and be able to defeat an incumbent in her race as well. So it's you know we'll see. It's it's different than than an election that we've seen before. Hmm. And Julia, when I have when you go to like Albany and stuff, do you like when you like write a lot? Do you, what do you do? Like do you like fire up Microsoft Word and just like start writing? How does it work? I don't. I don't I've never like known a politician <laughs> in my life. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well. Um, uh, I mean, we have incredibly, you know, smart and competent counsel uh, in in the right. central staff of the state senate, um, and we also are all assigned bill drafters. So it could it, it can take a lot of different forms. Um, 
I generally, if I have an idea about legislation or if one of my constituents has an idea for legislation, then, um, you know, I seek their input as much as possible, even welcome them to to draft a bill with, yeah. with my office. Um, I also have a legislative director who is really amazing um, and uh, who's he's, he's actually in his other life outside of the Senate. He's a criminal defense attorney um, nice. and, and a comrade. Uh, and so he's and, and he's brilliant and really great to work with. So he helps me tremendously in drafting legislation. And I also have an assigned bill drafter. Um, so it, it's it can it can mean I it can look like me submitting a bill that's virtually in its final form, or I can just sort of like <laughs> uh, throw something together, submit it to the bill drafter, nice. and say like, can you make sure that this is constitutional um, right. and like poke holes in it and, and make sure that it's sound? And then uh, they'll they'll get us a bill draft. We'll say, okay, we're ready to submit it. And then, and then it's a bill. Because I'm assuming like yeah. these awful, corrupt, you know, people who've been there forever, just like just hand a piece of paper to like some real estate developer and is like, here, write the bill and I'll just submit yeah. it. So it's because like, I've always that's something I think about a lot. Like, you know, hey, let's get into politics and get get like a, a leftist into politics, or whatever. Like, but then you have to like actually do the thing. And it's it sounds way it sounds so hard. And I think that that's just a huge barrier for people to jump in. Yeah. You know, that might 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 be. So it's it's cool to hear you, you know talk yeah. about all that stuff it's yeah it's a little easier than it, than it looks and also you know one thing that i found coming in in a new democratic majority after the democrats and the state senate hadn't hadn't been in power and hadn't controlled the chamber in a long time is that um we were a, a lot of uh, you know i was new and a little self-conscious about uh, being new and being the youngest member of the senate and what i found was that everyone is just winging it all the time <laughs> so, <laughs> no, yeah, totally. Well, that's the that's true of politics as it is with corporate America. Like I've worked at, you know, some of the biggest companies in America and stared into the belly of the beast of the highest levels. And like, you know, some VP of whatever the fuck who's making like a bajillion dollars, like has no idea what he's doing and is just winging it half the time. Yeah. 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 It's it's Check it's it's, it's, it's uh it's kind of like emboldening. It's depressing but also ultimately ultimately making yeah. power, right? It is. You have to get over you have to get rid of your imposter syndrome. I'm not talking about totally. you personally. I'm no, talking I know. Through, you know, you No, not no, very I good at do. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, you should be a coach, yeah. a life, a lifestyle. Uh, yeah, I'm very good at this. You yeah. also, you're very good at like women. I, I feel like you're good at. I'm good at women. You're good. <laughs> you're good at understanding like the shit women face. I feel like in a, you know what I mean? Like maybe because you have a sister. Yes. And a mom. Yes. Um, I think my sister might be watching. Shout out, Elisa. Hi, hi, Elisa. Hey. How are you? We gotta have her on. Yeah. Um, She's so, way cooler than me, to be honest. I mean, I'm using you to, I'm trying this, the whole plan, the whole idea here is, uh, you know, you know, know. the uh, Elisa plan. Um, To increase her, her female viewership. I do. Yeah. Yeah. I need to. Yeah. You guys look a lot alike. It's really cute. Oh, oh, I see. I see. Oh, oh, another joke about Nana being good looking. All right. We got to have a drink. We have to have a drinking game where we, where we uh, drink every time someone says that. (laughs) Someone being me or my guest. I know. I know this. (laughs) Seems to be a Nando exploitation-free zone. Um, no, I, it's okay. I, I'll you allow must it. be really triggered by it, right? 
No, I'm okay. I, I can survive. I'm gonna run my social media while I do this. Uh, by the way, I'll talk to anyone. Want to do that? Let me know because I'm like trying to tweet out and Instagram out, and it gets very distracting. Uh, I won't do that. Uh, think of your mom and sister. Thank you, Ben Gordon. Um, so, Julia, what? Um, I, I wanted to know what you've been able to achieve as a state senator. Um, and I mean, yeah, just let's start. Let's start with that. Let's start with that. Yeah. Um, well, I feel really fortunate to have come into the state Senate at the at the moment that I did when. Oh, wait, uh, sorry, Julie. Can you raise your volume at all or come closer to yeah. the mic? Oh, yeah. Listen to women. How's that? <laughs> yes. Um, actually, how is that? I don't know. Uh, Eric, how is that? Maybe more. I, I like the request implies I have some major like tech operation here where I'm like, hmm. Let me just raise uh, the senator 30%. I think that's okay. What do you guys think? Good? I can hear I, me. I can hear you. Yeah. Great. Way to, way to undermine Julia. She can hear herself. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I came into the state senate at, um, at a, a really fortunate moment when um, I was able to, to join the conference that then that then uh, had control of the chamber, and and um, if I hadn't, if I had come in in the minority, then naturally it would be very difficult for me to to pass legislation. Um, so coming into uh, a democratic-controlled state senate and democratic-controlled assembly with a democratic governor uh, made it easier for me to pass um, something like twenty-five bills um, in just a year and a half of, of that I that I introduced. Um, it's huge. Yeah, no, it's it's good, <laughs> um, but uh, um, the the first thing that the first bill that I passed when I got into the state senate was something called the um, the CCCA, the Comprehensive Contraception Care Act. It's kind of a, a um, tongue twister, but um, it expands access to contraception across the state of New York, um, so there's no more cost sharing, uh, no no insurance plan can can charge anyone to fill their birth control prescription and it applies to all of the many many uh, FDA approved forms of contraception um, which you know I got to I got to like have a little bit of internal debate with um, our Republican colleagues across the the aisle um, about the intimate details of using these different types of contraception so wait like what like wait 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 like what <laughs> like just like like uh, just having it goes in the v. vaginal condom is you know vaginal how, condom you know, yeah 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 uh, and why it should be free for for someone to be able to get at the pharmacy um, or or get through their doc their doctor um, so that was interesting uh, and then um, you know wh what was most exciting for me was being a part of passing these really transformative rent laws in 2019. It, it really uh, had motivated my, my run for office in the first place that I represent a district where um, it's, it's been it's been disproportionately harmed by gentrification, um, mm. and by by the housing crisis. Um, a, a lot of families who have been in in North Brooklyn, in Williamsburg, especially in Bushwick, for a long time, for generations, are being pushed out. Um, and it's because until last year, there were um, these these loopholes, essentially, in the rent laws that would allow for uh, landlords to destabilize, permanently destabilize apartments and push people out, raise the rents and and make 
um, buildings and units permanently unaffordable for um, for people who have lived in our neighborhoods for a long time. So um, I fought for this package of nine bills, um, really led by, for the first time, this statewide coalition uh, to to finally, um, Im, you know, improve the the policies for for people who live in rent regulated apartments. Um, and then I introduced a bill called the Good Cause Eviction Bill, which we are still fighting to pass, um, which would essentially implement a form of universal rent control across the state of New York. Um, but we've been um, gaining co-sponsors. We have a, a solid majority of co-sponsors in the Senate on the bill. So it's just a matter of continuing to fight to make sure that leadership brings the bill to the floor. Um, and and it's, it's really a, a critical moment to be doing that because so many people haven't been able to afford to pay their rent for months. Um, and, and what was already a crisis in our communities has really been exacerbated by the public health crisis. Yeah. Does that make you feel, I mean, it, it, it's, it's very frightening. Um, I'm not in New York City. I feel very distanced from it and very spoiled and, and like privileged. But um, I could see how this crisis is would make you like scared of politics, but it could also make you realize how urgent they are. Um, have you faced or felt or experienced more frustration and um, despair and hopelessness or more um, hope? I guess, or a combo? Yeah, definitely a combo. Um, I, I have really been encouraged by uh, people in, in our communities coming together and forming mutual aid networks um, to make up for, frankly, the, the failure of the federal government to provide enough assistance to New York right now. Um, you know, amidst, on the one hand, it's absolutely devastating that we've lost almost 5,000 people in Brooklyn to the virus um, and and it's a lot of a lot of it has been in communities that I represent like in East New York and Brownsville, um, Bushwick and Bed-Stuy. Um, our safety net hospitals have been hit really hard and uh, it, it was inspiring though to see in in a moment like this when at the same time the governor was trying to push through an austerity budget, cut Medicaid funds to hospitals that desperately need it. And this was actually, this was at the peak of the pandemic. We're not even talking about right now where thankfully like, uh, you know, hospitalizations are decreasing and things are starting to get a little bit back to normal. Um, this was at, at the worst moment of the pandemic that he was proposing um, making millions, uh, more than a billion dollars actually across the state in, med in Medicaid cuts, right? But, but we were able to, to fight back um, and and really rapidly defeat that proposal in order to protect our community. So I've seen people come come together um, to advocate for for policy that's good for our communities, but also come together to to feed families that are unable to to feed themselves right now and to um, provide uh, PPE and hand sanitizer. Uh, to combat the price gouging that was going on, right? So, so people's material needs are being met by uh, the solidarity that that we've been seeing in Brooklyn and across the city. So, I mean, I think you know, uh, altogether, it's been it's been inspiring to see people respond to it, and then also, it is pretty shocking that even in a public, really the worst public health crisis that I think we've seen in any of our lifetimes. Um, that it's not enough to to 
motivate uh, people, you know, the, the very wealthy, um, yeah. entrenched politicians, compromised politicians to tax, you know, to increase taxes on the rich, to do the things that we know we absolutely need to do in order to to save people's lives. Like, it's not a matter of, of like personal preference. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's not ideology. So you're, saying, you're saying you're not a Cuomo sexual. No, no, I'm not a homosexual. Okay. Well, wow. yeah, it's just, yeah. it's, it's, it's really wild. Like I look at the economic numbers and I'm like, this is the biggest crisis in the history of capitalism, yeah. at least in a hundred years, maybe of, since capitalism came to be. Um, and the, the, the sense that our politics and our, our elected officials and our ruling class is just pretending like it's not happening is just so disorienting. So to see people like you who are actually trying to do the best you can to like fix this incredibly severe crisis, both on a public health uh, standpoint and from and as well as an economic standpoint, like how does that feel when you're like in Albany dealing with all these people who are just like, yeah, well, I don't know, well, maybe we should just reopen the bars. Yeah, I mean, for for what it's worth, um, I have witnessed people who previously were, you know, before this crisis, not particularly sympathetic to taxing the rich, not really sympathetic to um, our, our sort of um, class struggle politics, right? I've seen them in a very short period of time recognize that it's absolutely necessary. Like this crisis has um, it's, it's agitated people, essentially. Mm. It's made people um, choose which side they're on, um, the, the governor not included. <laughs> but, but thankfully, um, the, the, pro the problem has not been my colleagues so much, right? Um, and and uh, I'm seeing the, the electorate, I think, the results of this election are demonstrating that people um, are ready to support these absolutely essential measures that would have prevent, you know, if we had universal health care, there's no way that that we would have lost nearly as many people in the yeah. United as we did. Right. Um, and and if you know, if we had a more equitable tax system, we wouldn't have to in the middle of a pandemic beg for our public hospitals to be funded. Right. And yeah. and um, have to, you know, call um, people in other states and other countries in order to just get the essential PPE for our hospitals, right? Which is something that I've had to do and that my colleagues have had to do. It's completely absurd. I remember, um, you know, sort of coordinating it and talking to my mom about it. And I'm like, yeah, I had to order PPE from China today for, for like my local hospital. It's a real thing that, that um, a bunch of us have, have had to do because, um, and it's unfortunate, especially as a socialist who, who is at, at once telling everyone like, we, we want um, the government to be able to provide these, these basic goods, right? Um, we want to take collective responsibility for this. And yet we're, we're having to like look elsewhere. Um, and not that that's what mutual aid is about, but rely on mutual aid networks in order to provide for people's material needs because the government is failing to. Um, and that doesn't, that feels counterintuitive for me as a, a yeah. socialist, mm. you know? Right. Well, better mutual aid than, than charity, right? I, yeah, I guess so. 
I mean, I mean better, better than than um, you know proposals for some corporation to come in and right and, yeah right and then for, I mean for- mutual aid has more egalitarian right universal and like le- more rights based less charity based more yeah. justice based than than like generosity based right um, pr- uh, framing um, yeah, not about philanthropy yeah. right. We have another guest who I'm going to bring on in a couple of uh, of seconds. Let me just tell wow. him we're ready. One, two. Should we bring him in? Let's bring him in. We're going to Let's this is, bring him in. Right, we're going to bring in our guest. I'm going to say quick hello, and then uh, we're going to give uh, Julia a chance to respond to some of these things. Hi, Ken. Hey guys, how's it going, everyone? Hear us. What up? Hi, we're very excited there? to have journalist Ken Klippenstein from The Nation. He's also uh, at the Young Turks. Um, he's been uh, published in The Intercept. And, uh, but yeah, based now at The Nation, The Nation magazine, and a really amazing uh, investigative reporter and making, and very exciting news. I mean, this is a real game changer moment, making his Katie Helper show debut. So put that on the top of your bio. Yeah. He's gonna get hired in the New York Times before yeah. you know it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Welcome, yeah. welcome, Ken. Hopefully. Hopefully my next job move isn't uh, right in the middle of a global pandemic. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, everything's online now. So, uh, uh, and Julia Salazar, Ken Klippenstein, I don't know if you guys know each other um, online or uh, IRL, but you... uh, Online. yeah. I, yeah, I know all you folks from the internet. Yeah. It's yeah, like internet. we're all living in a Philip Dick novel where we get to see everyone simulated <laughs> simulated selves. Yeah, this is an avatar. I don't look like this. It's like normal now. Yeah. Yeah. I live in an age where it's totally normal to socialize this way. Yeah, to social right, distance right. socialize, yeah. Um, just want to give some shout outs. We have um, Elisa was indeed watching. Elisa, sorry, I, I never know. I always mispronounce it. Elisa was watching. Hi, Elisa. Um, we got some, oh, will you, I don't know if this is for me or for Julia it could be, it's on us guys, as Obama says, and as what's that guy who, who's the face for that campaign, the guy who played the rapist on, um, Orange is the New Black, you oh, know, Matt, McGorry was the face oh, of the oh. affirmative consent campaign, which I always like. Yeah. Um, so he, will he you, turned, he turned into like a good Bernie bro though. Oh, then yeah, exactly. I do like it now. He evolved. Oh, no, it's a good symbol. That exactly it. It's a sign of evolution. You can evolve from from prison guard who has non consensual relationships with inmates to a an ally on um, on affirmative consent, and you can uh, evolve from someone who works with the Obama administration to a, a Bernie bro. Um, but will you? The question is, will you please relentlessly mock the Democrats who leave legislating halfway through the day to go fundraise and phone bank? And that's a question. I mean, I feel like Julia and Ken, you're both both of you are kind of uniquely qualified to address that um i hold on one second i am a you know we are all social well i don't know three quarters of us are socialists here i don't want to speak for you but um ken but i also we do live in the capitalist world system so we gotta center the voices that pay um (laughs) brian Brian frederick would like to know does the senator support ranked choice voting yes yeah i do support ranked choice voting um i think uh it would have been great to see the pilot rolled out. We're going to see it in New York City actually next year, but um, it would be interesting to see the results of some of these elections um, if we had had ranked choice voting uh, instead of winner takes all. Um, yeah, it, but um, on the on the question also about fundraising, um, I, it's it that actually really is a 
it makes the case for public campaign financing because um, we don't see it as much in the the state senate or or in the state legislature, but we do see right. It's it's very common for congressional representatives to spend most of their day, actually to spend most of their day because elections are only every two years, fundraising and and uh, dialing for dollars or, or whatever they say, um, and it's because they're. You, Actually, they're eligible for um, public matching funds to a certain extent, but it isn't—it isn't quite what we see at the city level, um, and it's—it's uh, it's really difficult for people to run a viable campaign. I know, you know, I can speak from the experience of running a campaign that rejects all corporate PAC money and any for-profit real estate money, um, but, but, um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't. I, I think that it can be done. The fact that we are seeing more congressional representatives um, and more state representatives um, refusing to rely on you know huge donors and instead running truly grassroots campaigns is is really it's a good thing. Um, but I also I try to have some humility about it and recognize that like I don't I um, I ran for office for the first time in 2018, and I know that. There are people who are really, they need to adjust, but they're used to the way that things used to be, right? In like this traditional way of um, of dialing for dollars and sustaining their campaigns. Um, and, and, you know, we need to demand better. All right, I, I'm, I'm, I agree with that. Well, if we, if we impose a dictatorship of the proletariat, there would be no need for campaign finance. Because yeah. there would be no, no elections. <laughs> right. Easy. It's unclear well, what's going to happen first, right? I don't, I don't know if that's... Okay, maybe. <laughs> no, speak. <laughs> speak. I don't think it's... Yeah. I'm kidding. I don't want to get you in trouble. Disregard that. Delete it. Delete it. <laughs> you don't have to... No, it's okay. We, we can talk sometime about what it means for there to be a dictatorship of the proletariat, though. <laughs> yeah. Maybe. We can have a... We got to get Assad back on here. Not... I mean, call me an Assadist, if you will. If you must. <laughs> what does Assad hater? Assad hater. Different Assad. Different Assad. Assad hater. Yeah, which is also wait. funny. Someone, someone will clip that and it'll be uh, good. Uh, I know. I mean, it's like the got it. One of the less positive things I've said about the other one. Just kidding. All right. <laughs> um, by the way, uh, I don't know how to see my earlier chats. I'm trying to find someone who chatted earlier, and not only because of this, but they did pay. Uh, you see, this is all a demonstration of why we need socialism now so that we can have more egalitarian uh, YouTube chats. Julia, we want to give you the chance. If you have any, you can stay. We can drink all night. We can talk all night. You may have some work to do. Um, want to give you a chance to say goodbye powerfully. Um, whatever you want. You can sneak away. Whatever you want to do. But uh, you have been with us for a while. We're really grateful. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. And come back. Pleasure. Yeah. I feel like a, a Katie Helper show veteran. That's yeah, you are. Of course. Yeah, yeah. we had yeah, we had you on. I, I interviewed you for Teen Vogue. That was fun. Yeah. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> last uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. last question. Um, <laughs> okay, last... okay, I'm about to I'm about to Okay, last question though. Does the senator have tips for my dog re fireworks? Oh, oh no, I'm so sorry. Um uh, well, it, I guess it kind of depends if you have like a place where you can sequester your dog and if you have the time to to just spend consoling them. 
I don't really have tips. I, I so I have a puppy who um, I I would go get him, but there's only two rooms in my apartment, and yeah. in the other room there are four people. So oh, wow, thank you for right sharing now, they yourself. Don't live, they don't live in anywhere. Right. So so I have a puppy who's only five months old. Um, and uh, he thankfully is not afraid of fireworks. He doesn't love them, but he he doesn't get anxiety about them. Um, but he does get anxiety about some things because he's extremely attached because he's a, like a quarantine puppy. Oh, you know? So right. um, uh, I think the only advice I have is that they make these like calming treats. I'm going to tell you to give your dog drugs. Oh, good. They do. Yeah. They, they make calming these, like calming. It's called Vicodin. No, it's called um, no, it's like valerian right? root, actually. Oh, valerian root, nice. It's probably what's, yeah, 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 like melatonin, uh, maybe. But uh, anyway, they have these these treats that are safe for dogs, and it and it mellows them out a little bit if they have anxiety. All right, I'll give some to Bodhi. Yeah. Yeah, try yeah. it. I'll, I'll show some it. photos of you and Bodhi, yeah, Experiment later on. The drugs with your dog. Yeah, dogs like to dabble. They do. Just like humans do. All right, thank you so much, Julia. See ya. Bye. Bye. That was State Senator Julia Salazar. And uh, Steve Slesher, I want to know you to know that I see you. Even though you don't pay for comments, I see you. And good on you for being a social worker. Um, I mean, I'll see you more if you pay a dollar or two. But no, <laughs> Okay, so Ken, thank you so much for joining us. Ken is a, an amazing investigative journalist, again, uh, at The Nation. And he's written some amazing pieces i really i go over the top but you are a very very good journalist and uh yeah. so it's not over the top. you have a recent piece about uh, elliot engel that i would love for you to talk about fresh off the press hot off the presses you posted it i you filed it yes uh tuesday i believe and then a piece before that on Ant antifa which is very exciting so let's start with the biggest threat the bigger threat of those which is of course elliot engel um <laughs> and uh i do want to announce guys that I tweeted a couple of days ago that people really needed to vote for um, uh, Bowman for many reasons, including the fact that if and when he won, I would be able to write a headline called White Hawk Down. And you all <laughs> that happen. So without any further ado, and I'm going to open up your article, uh, uh, please tell us about this great piece that you wrote about Engel. Yeah, I think uh, you captured pretty well, White, White Hawk Down. Um, he had tried to sort of rebrand in, in, in the last couple of years. Um, it would be misleading to call him a sort of right-wing Democrat w with respect to domestic policy, at least. So, for example, um, you know, he embraced uh, Medicare for All, which I think is a testament to how effectively that has been advanced within the Congressional Progressive Caucus. But when you look at um, his foreign policy, it's quite a different story. Um, he's pretty well known for being a major recipient, perhaps the top recipient within um, the House of pro-Israel PAC funds. And uh, as a matter of fact, during this primary, um, the a Republican group actually uh, funneled money through a Democratic pro-Israel group to um, Engel, and that was first reported by uh, The Intercept. I thought that that was pretty illustrative of um, his time uh, in Congress because I started looking through, uh, you know, just his record, and I was astonished uh, by, you know, the number of times he found common cause with not just Republican figures, but um, even uh, Trump administration folks. So, for example, during the Obama administration, uh, he was pretty widely criticized for opposing the Iran deal uh, until, of course, it passed, at which point he re uh, when Trump won, then he rebranded and said, well, actually, maybe the 
you know, maybe we want the Iran deal after all now that um, a Republican is advancing it. But right. when, it, when it was Obama in the White House, um, he actually gave a joint press conference with Mike Pence, uh, who, of course, at the time was a you know, congressperson. Um, and he joined him to condemn and oppose any U.N. investigation into uh, the Israeli commando raid of, a, of the Gaza flotilla that, that came to Gaza to try to provide them with humanitarian aid, ended up killing something like um, eight or nine uh, activists. And uh, not only you know, did he oppose, uh, it, it's, not, it's not like there was an investigation and he disagreed with the results. He didn't want there to be a UN investigation. And you know, his statement for why was pretty much identical to Pence's and the Republicans generally. Which is that you know looking into Israel is um, of its nature illegitimate, uh, you know because we have to be you know we have to be there. <laughs> they have this term strategic partnership. Right. You are talking about a country that you know has an ugly uh, human rights record. Right. Uh, you know we, we call it a strategic partnership as if uh, there's some kind of uh, real politic reason that we have to be adults here and, and think about the you know think strategically about why we <laughs> why we need to. Um, condone uh, some of the stuff that a lot of people would, would, would think is bad. So, um, I mean, that is one example of many. Another one was... Uh, Can I ask yeah, you sure. something quickly before, sorry, before yeah, yeah. We, we go on with that? Is it, with Israel, though, is it framed as a strategic partnership? Isn't, aren't, isn't Israel kind of like the bestie of the United States, like the uh, government? Um, I mean, we're always... Politicians are always calling Israel special friend, special relationship. Um, isn't do they actually use the term strategic partnership for Israel, or is that reserved for people we're not quite as openly amorous with? Well, that's an interesting question because that's changing, and I think this election shows exactly uh, how it's changing. Uh, when you right. look at the demographic characteristics of the Democratic Party, uh, younger folks of uh, all ethnic backgrounds are a lot more skeptical of um, what we do in terms of military aid for Israel than uh, Democratic voters in the past have been. So I think you are gonna see a shift um, away from it, and towards the rhetoric that we used to describe, uh, you know, our, our uh, say arms exports and right. uh, coordination with Saudi Arabia, for instance, right. which it's, itself has become increasingly entwined and, and working with, um, you know, Saudi Arabia, the UAE, Qatar, so on and so forth, working with Israel now increasingly becoming less and less distinct um, with respect to their uh, foreign policy. So I think we're going to see a lot of the same language we use to describe, uh, you know, these, these, these uh, theocratic, frankly, um, dictatorships. Right. I think I think the language is going to start to reflect that a lot more. Mike Pence's suit is oh incredible. Oh, my God. In that yeah. <laughs> That's the Obama suit. It's That's like, Obama but, but Obama, at least it fit better. Like, Mike, look at those sleeves. Like, is that color. his older brother's? That's like his older brother's suit, it, 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 a hand-me-down. It looks terrible. That's the, that's the three seven-year-olds in the trench coat suit. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. And his head is kind of behind. It's like those old dog pictures where they would put the dog's head and try to make it look like he's like playing tennis or something. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, it looks terrible. He's, it's something about being a Republican, you can't have anything that fits, which is why L.A. Angus no. doesn't fit either, I think. Oh, yeah, you're right. Uh, Peter King looks just so, uh, so Peter Kingian. I mean, I, God bless him. He kind of looks him. like Leland Palmer uh, for any Twin, Twin Peaks fans out there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he does. He kind of looks does. like a Yenta, like a 60-something-year-old Jew, uh, uh, Jewish woman. Yeah, that too. You know what I mean? Like, Shout, yeah. 
shout out to Chris Shea of the Nation for picking that uh, photo, by the way. Oh yeah, it's thank you. Perfect, for that, yeah, it's it illustrates so great. exactly what. Yeah, that's Engle is just voting. Not, not just so we a lot of people know him for you know his positions in the Middle East in Israel, uh, but in Latin America it's uh, bad as well. Yeah. Um, and the coup in Bolivia. He was quick to move on to the next government, and they love to frame. They love to frame it as, oh, we need to embrace democracy and have a new election. And it's like, well, but we just had an election. Like, it's not really a legitimate one if you just decide to ignore the previous one and hold a new one, you know. And so that was sort of his strategy with with that. Um, but uh, it's very interesting yeah. to see people like AOC come in and condemn these things. Um, and, you know, I've seen people be critical of AOC's foreign policy, and she's certainly more staid than um, she could be. But yeah. she is saying things to, to you know, to the... Uh, uh, frustration of, of a lot of the party party in the center that that causes a lot of headaches for them to have to explain why they're not also you know condemning these coups. Right. So it, it is creating an interesting contrast. I think. And you mentioned in your piece that um, he he wanted to strip uh, Ilan Omar right of her position. So she had a committee assignment, and this is yeah, really yeah. why I think this election was so important, and why you saw Democratic leadership um, throwing you know uh, a lot of what they had. Um, at Bowman to try to stop them because this wasn't just an you know ordinary congressional race. There were other you know primaries taking place that people like um, Hillary Clinton and uh, Chuck Schumer and all of these top Democrats coming behind um, Engel in an almost like comical overkill sort of <laughs> sort of way to try to you know thumb, thumb the scales. Um, they're not just doing that because it's any race. They're doing it because he's chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee. And you know I cover a lot of sort of foreign policy, national security type stuff. And something that you know folks might not know is the uh, Foreign Affairs Committee, they get read into and are given classified briefings all the time uh, that the rest of the public does not get. And that's a huge mechanism of oversight that we have for a lot of this classified information. Uh, if you look at the way the laws uh, in our system is constructed, it's really one of the only ways we have uh, for the public to learn about what sorts of classified things are going on. So if they lose a chairmanship like this uh, from someone who is very, you know, gets a lot of money from uh, military contractors uh, and and the like, uh, no matter who they replace them with, and they're going to try to replace them with a really bad centrist. I, I don't dispute that. It's going to be hard to find one who has the same exact same type of politics, uh, quite as reactionary as as him. And so, w when Congress gets these briefings, they can come to a reporter like me. They can leak these classified things to us, and and it's actually legal. It's essentially it's sort of in debate, but it's basically legal for them to do so. That's really important. When you, uh, you know, you have uh, to give you an example, we have, you mentioned Ilan Omar. So if you get the right people on these committees, you end up getting uh, people that, you know, were involved in war crimes grilled, as you saw her do with, yeah. Um, with, yeah, with Elliot Abrams, which is really a historic moment. I yeah. can't think of a time when someone that powerful had to face uh, not just, uh, you know, questions about were you competent in how you carried out X, you know, uh, horrible, you know, military policy. But, uh, you know, it was fundamentally wrong and immoral. That's way, I don't know that I've ever seen anything like that before. It was really startling. Mm -hmm. So they try to lock, they try really hard to lock down these uh, committee committee assignments because they don't want it to go, because you, you see what happens when, when you've got a, people with relatively, you know, progressive uh, politics that they have these seats. Ken, I have a question. How, you know, you're a very good investigative reporter. How do you get these national security ghouls to talk to you? Good question. What's interesting is they actually appreciate that I have, you know, unconventional politics. I think they get sick of the kind of center lib kind of thing. And there's a lot, there's a whole lot more going on than 
um, whatever the you know Mueller investigation or the um, Ukraine investigation now, um, they have concerns uh, above and beyond a lot of that. And it, in my experience, a lot of them, they've talked to folks um, from the Times and they're not interested in what they have to say. Uh, so I have a very different, you know, when I was younger and coming into this, I thought, how am I going to do this? Because I don't really believe a lot of what, and it, to my surprise, it's been sort of a, um, uh, it, not at all what I expected. There's actually a lot of people that 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 need someone to go because hmm. these guys, if you have a security clearance, you can't be. T- they actually get polygraphed about who they talk to, so they can't be public facing at all. They need uh, a dissent channel in the media to um, air out their concerns. And um, if it's all just this kind of, you know, uh, M- New York Times, Maggie Hipperman kind of stuff, there's serious limits on what they're going to be able to get through. You know, so to me, I'm more like. I have more stuff than I have time to go through <laughs> and I didn't expect it to be this way at all. Um, and, you know, I'll say, um, you know, a lot of my, I think people would be surprised how many of my sources are conservative. Um, I'm not saying, you know, all of them are, or I'm not commenting generally cause I don't want to get in tr- anyone in trouble, but um, I think folks would be surprised how many people just don't feel represented by sort of liberal consensus that exists in the mainstream media. And they're happy to talk to someone just outside of that, whether that's mm. the left or, or whatever it is, you know? Uh, come here, you crazy commie. I got to tell you something. Yeah. But you're that's the kind of they talk to me. Yeah. Also, like, that's if you can own the lids yeah. for them. Yeah. That's yeah, true. Yeah. Because right. they, they have their own. I mean, there is such a dearth because um, there are far right people um, that they can talk to. Uh, yeah, but they don't have any very little, They're very little to the left of the sort of consensus. You know what I mean? Like, they're, right. it's really limited. Yeah, which of course people will try to attack. Like people use what you just said as a way to to try to delegitimize you, um, as opposed to realizing the truth, which is that like the liberal media is so bad that the there are so many places. And again, that doesn't mean you embrace Trump. And look, I, I, this is so obvious. I don't know why we have to keep explaining this or being this, but like there have always been overlaps, political overlaps, with people who, with whom we disagree. That's nothing new. Um, but have you experienced this more because with Trump as president, like, has that been that kind of trend you're talking about been? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Because well, and how 100%. much of that is? Well, that's the other thing is that this is a, this job, not, not to wax poetic, but it's like almost been a, a kind of spiritual thing for me to see that there are people who profess to have certain views. And, and a lot of that is pretty superficial. And in fact, they'll stick their neck out and take risks. Uh, and do stuff that, uh, and, and end up doing things that might be more in accord with what, what I would consider, you know, sort of anti-authority, maybe socialist, uh, however you want to call it. Yeah. Um, and maybe they describe themselves as conservative, but that's sort of uh, a cultural affiliation right, rather than really what, what I would call, you know, like how they live their lives. Um, so actually a lot of people that like on paper, I would think, oh, this guy's ridiculous. Or, you know, maybe they even say some dumb stuff. But, um, you know, I have people that have, you know, told and give me stuff they could get in serious trouble for. Um, and to me that, um, you know, that, 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 that speaks to kind of in- integrity that I don't think is sort of captured by. Um, and, and I think that y- you see a lot of possibility because there's a whole lot of people that are left out of this um, sort of boring consensus that I was describing before. I, I think that stuff is a lot less popular than people realize. And, and even if someone calls themselves, you know, conservative or liberal, I don't know. A lot of times that, that I find that to be pretty skin deep. Hmm. Mm. Yeah. It's just like, oh, what team they're on really not so much like they're. Yeah. Even aside self. from leaking, even aside from leaking or whistleblowing, I'll even talk to them sometimes about like healthcare stuff and they'll actually be like pretty open to things. It's kind of like they just hadn't heard a lot of it, you know? 
Um, and these are, I see like intelligence community people are generally, a lot of them have pretty decent degrees. Um, I'm, uh, you would think that they'd be pretty uh, indoctrinated, frankly. And there's a lot more openness. I think just because the system is falling apart, there's no legitimacy. They see day to day how absurd everything is. Mm. And um, in a way that is scary because, you know, we don't know what's going to replace the systems that are collapsing. But um, at least for someone like me as a reporter, and I would uh, imagine politically more generally, that's a big opportunity for people that have something else to say. Hmm. Um, and that's certainly, you know, I, I found that to be um, sort of fruitful in, hmm. in terms of people's willingness to, to work with me. And ha how did you get into journalism? I mean, there's so I, I feel a little guilty because there's so much politics to be talking about. Um, but I am curious uh, about your story personally. Oh, gosh. Um, it was really occupied Wall Street because I, I graduated right like in the middle of the crash in co after college, you know. And I never expected to be rich or anything, but I had kind of hoped I would have like an okay job, you know, and I was unemployed for like, I don't know, like two or three. I mean, I worked at a restaurant for a couple of years and like, um, and once the economy kind of recovered, I really forgot about how awful that was. We lost him right when he was getting to the good part. Uh, oh, here you are. Okay, great. He's back. Oh, we sorry. Lost him. sorry about that. Yeah, so um, you want to be unemployed the for darkness and despair. So when so all black screen, yeah, yeah, exactly. The light comes through. The light starts shining through. Um, and yeah. then it's like the before after pictures on on Instagram. It's like here's the new me. Yeah. But uh, so after after several years of that, it was really. I mean, I was always, you know, I think I always had kind of unorthodox political views, but um, it made it real to experience unemployment. And, um, and it's not just about like necessarily bills. It's like you're not really included in the society. Do you know what I mean? Mm, like, yeah. you're not really given a place. It, like, uh, how to describe it? Like, in feudalism, as bad as it was, everyone had a sort of place. In, there were no unemployed yeah. people in yeah. feudalism. Right. <laughs> everyone, had that, like, everyone was taken yeah. care of. Yeah. Right. And, and it's like, beyond just the food you get from that, it's like you have a, you have an identity. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's really hard to have an identity when you're unemployed, or at least it was it, for me. Yeah. So then... I don't know. I never forgot that. And it made me kind of like really not be able to buy into the system, you know, so to speak. Yeah. That's yeah. interesting. Yeah. Where were you? Ba I mean, where were you living at this point? Um, Madison, Wisconsin. I lived there for like, um, I don't know, like nine, nine years. I just only just moved out to DC for this job. Like, uh, what, six, six months, five or six months ago. Wow. Yeah. That's really, yeah. And do you, um, is your family progressive? I mean, I don't even know how you describe yourself politically, but do you come from a family with views similar to yours? I think it was similar to what I was talking about with the intelligence community, where it's like um, they would probably describe themselves. Leon Panetta is your father. Not, right. So my, my mom was a, um, she's from El Salvador. Uh, she's what's called an immigrant, but I mean, she had to leave during the war. You know, I was, I mentioned Elliot um, Abrams before. I was like very, it had a lot of personal significance for me to see someone, uh, you know, herself from a, you know, uh, very impoverished country stand up to somebody like that who is doing the yeah. impoverishing, yeah. you know, uh, and that's why, why my mom immigrated. And um, so I think because, I mean, you know, that's extraordinary poverty. And without getting into the personal stuff too much, like uh, I think that likewise made it very hard for her to believe in any of this kind of, mm. I mean, <laughs> this Millennium Corporation kind of like, um, you know, uh, earned income tax credit stuff. That's just ridiculous when you yeah. know anyone that's had to deal with it. You know what I mean? Like, so I don't know that she's like, uh, you know, going to start talking about the Communist Manifesto or anything. Like, she's not, you know, literate in that sense. But I think she always 
had a kind of streetwise attitude about PowerWorks, um, mm. and and that that has made her and, and my my dad. That's a whole other story. My dad is Mennonite. Do you guys know what Mennonites are? Yeah. Um, Vaguely. They're like very, like very anti-war. So yeah. Okay, right. Uh, where really are they originally? Like, where are they from originally? They're like. Kind of like Ukraine, okay. Eastern Europe. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Um, probably, <laughs> probably comp he got he, uh, disinformazia. Maybe that's why he's he's <laughs> outside of the yeah, liberal right. consensus. But yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, he never really fit in. That's what I find. I, the people that don't really fit, they always kind of seem to have a good perspective on things you yeah know, you know what i mean like because <laughs> it's like I, I couldn't really be i don't know that it could be established when i wanted to because it's just i don't really know how to uh, it's so boring you know what i mean like <laughs> i couldn't go to those parties and things if i if i had to <laughs> yeah but misfit, um, misfit politique yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah I, I, don't, I don't know um i, I just kind of stumbled into it it wasn't really a plan so i mean i really so i mean you know a lot of people know me for foia um, I just found that on just reading the news. I was like, wow, that's really cool. I just started doing it for fun. And then next freedom thing I realized, it was like, people probably yeah, know. Freedom Information just... Act, open records requests. And um, like I was saying before, the sources, like, um, I don't know how much of a charmed life I lead so much as that there's not a whole lot of competition. Like, who at the major is, is really. How many before? investigative reporters are, are there? Not very many. I mean, I came in as nine. Yeah. When I, when I first came into this, yeah, there's not, and the, among the ones that do FOIA, there's like Jason Leopold, maybe, you know, there's like a couple, and certainly not that many on the national level. So to me, it was like, there just really wasn't very much competition to yeah. be had. And when I had something, people would be like, wait, this isn't a take? Yeah, I want to see it. You know what I mean? Like, and I was amazed because it's like, they kind of, what I was saying before about the politics, people, a lot of editors were kind of overlooked the political yeah. stuff they don't like, because it's kind of like, wait, you have a primary stress document? I want that. You know, you know what I mean? So... <laughs> Right. Yeah. Primary source. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That it's is it's really crazy. I mean, it, you know, reporting has, you know, it's probably at its like lowest point ever in terms of uh, volume and maybe standards. Like there's just, there's just fewer reporters, you know, that, that than there were 10, 15 years ago. Um, how do you, how do you see the profession these days or do you see the a future for it? Or do you see like young people getting into, I don't know. Like, I'm sure you get asked all the time, like, how do I do what you do? And it's like, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just well, I the feel terrible. I never know what to say because these kids, like uh, I was also told, don't do it. It's impossible. You'll never make it. And so I don't want to say that, but at the same time, it's this poor kid. It's like, it is, there's not very many jobs, you know? So yeah. I don't really know what to tell them. I don't want to. Yeah mislead some kid and then have him regret it like a few years later, you know so i guess i really think that what has to change in terms of investigative reporting um i mean there are a lot of things but the biggest problems are institutional like obviously you know um we all like crystal is drives everyone nuts all those guys but there's a reason it's not a mistake when you get literally the dumbest people consistently coming to the top that to me yeah. that says that there's something about like the that. system is designed you know what i mean like they kind of dumb people will do what they're told and they're not gonna you, you know like uh thomas friedman all that i don't think it's a mistake but anyways um so i think one i was in a cab in um yeah i'm on my way to meet with an app developer <laughs> did you guys see this bill gates has this thing where it's gonna he's he was going around this is literally true he's drinking like water generated from like fecal matter and he's saying this is gonna like save africa 
So instead yeah. of just letting Africa develop, we're going to make an app to let them drink fecal yes. water. I'm not it's even kidding. This liberal, is real. I couldn't liberal bullshit. Right yeah. Bullshit. Literally. Wait. I remember. I remember for a while there was there was this, there was this technology that was a soccer ball that if you kicked it around, it would generate like electricity and you could light <laughs> like a hut yeah, in Africa. Why would you like, like that, Nando? What? You're a soccer man. I am a soccer man, but that's ridiculous. You know, like, this is ridiculous. You're against sports ball now? Yeah, I'm against it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, no, but to answer your question, this is a really important question. How to fix media. Um, just in one sentence, my pitch. I don't really think it's extraordinary. Like, there's a lot of features, but I don't think the main thing is extraordinarily complicated, which is that Facebook and Google have monopolies that are stealing most of the revenue and they don't have money anymore. End of story. Yeah. Like, there's yeah. a lot of other things. Unionization is important, they're critical. You know, um, alternative media, that's really important because um, you guys can actually, pr you guys have more power than you think in terms of pressuring the major media to, to follow things. I think, I really think that's true. Um, I, Cause I came into this thinking, oh, I'm gonna be bitter because I'm always on the outside. I was never allowed in. Actually like I've seen major media. So you mentioned my Antifa story. They all followed that stuff because shockingly they're not, they don't break a whole lot outside of what's given to them from the press secretaries. And right. yeah. I don't want to paint with too broad of a brush because there's good people at yeah, there are yeah. always good people. There's good people at the New York Times. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, generally this kind of, you guys would be surprised how many stories that are leaks are just coming from White House people. That of course. That's, the yeah. thing that, the thing that I think is under discussed on the left with regards to the media, and it used to be a thing that was just a totem in the 1960s and 70s, which was the idea of a public media. You know, I think that there's this idea here that a public media is inevitably going to be corrupt, corrupted by whomever's in power. And that's a danger, obviously, but there's a way to structure, there's ways to structure it. And I'm sure smart people who think about this shit can figure it out. But, um, you know, the idea of a public media, like information is a public good. We all deserve it. We need yeah. it to function just like we need electricity and water. And we need a public media that is publicly funded, that advocates for our interest because it's publicly funded um, instead of funded by advertisers or Facebook and Google, like you said, but like no one talks about it or no one even thinks about it. Um, and I just, I can't see any other way to create institutions that are big and broad and national that are well-funded and but also independent of commercial pressures. Yeah. I think at some point there's going to just have to be a breakup of these monopolistic structures because Google AdSense is insane in terms of how many clicks you need to get to get a saleable revenue. What's crazy, it's getting to the point now that these sort of, I've always worked for pretty progressive outlets and I'm actually making more than some of these like well-educated kids that go into the big corporate places that you would think would have infinite money. And you know, many of them do have a lot of resources, but you would be surprised um, how tight of margins they're running because um, you know, when, when, when Facebook and Google take their cut, what, what's left is a system where you can have, you know, a hundred thousand clicks and that generates maybe a couple hundred bucks. And that's yeah, not it's crazy. The, the amount of power they have is absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. You know, like, the, so I completely I remember I did a, the, when I was at fusion, I did a video for Facebook that got like, I, I want to say like 50 million views or something right. preposterous like that. And I was right. like, Oh shit. And then I asked like, like the boss is like, did that like make any money for like what, for the company or like we make $600. And I was like, just the cost to make this was not even close. And this is like our most watched video ever. And I'm right. like, how is this right. going to work? Right. You're going to tell me, yeah, you're going to tell me 10 million, like, uh, you know, America, relatively affluent country, 10 million views isn't worth like at least like, you know, a thousand bucks or something. Yeah, like that. it's crazy. Like, I don't, you know, I'm not an economist, but it's like, 
that money is going so because those eyeballs are valuable because they yeah. you know what i mean like yeah, yeah, yeah. But nobody seems to everyone just takes as a feature of the universe uh, a physical matter that google can just take what it what it wants you know yeah and also people always assume that like you know public media or state media um etc they're inherently corrupt or oppressive but corporate media somehow has no alternative independent and free yeah. And it's like, yeah. No. Yeah. yeah um nando i know you have to get off because uh you uh, you had told me your schedule earlier and, yeah i have a very uh, busy schedule <laughs> yeah um but uh ken i would love to keep chatting if you have more time no 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 that's fine it's nice meeting you nando i you follow too, you well so it's cool to yeah, man. chat yeah yeah we'll see you another one Bye, Take Nando. Thanks for coming on. Right. See you next right. week. Bye. Bye. Um, so yeah, any questions? There's some already some questions that I just want to give people the chance to listen. To. Uh, there's one. Thoughts on how the Never Trumpers, Lincoln Project crew, etc., will fold into a Biden administration, merge into an even worse Republican Party, etc. Um, I mean, they will tr they will try to do that, but I hope that what this you know primary uh, showed us is that there is still pressure. Please join our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Halper Show to hear the rest of my interview with Ken Klippenstein. And it gets even more interesting. And we talk about neo-Nazis and why that's not a bigger story right now. Thanks again so much for listening to the Katie Halper Show. 